Have you ever been confronted by an unusual person who was out of your everyday experience? Someone who challenged your comfort zone, but whose words and behaviour were ambiguous, so that you didn't quite know whether they meant well, or whether they were a threat in some way? Did you make assumptions during and after the interaction? about what kind of person they were beyond their immediate encounter with you? Did you even allow the interaction to go forward? Or did you recoil and stop the encounter in its tracks so as to avoid any possible nasty surprises? Or did you allow the experience to take you into unpredictable and maybe even inexplicable territory? Did the meeting leave you enlightened or confused? How did you make sense of it all? And did it all turn out to be senseless? Connor is a 20-something millennial living in Washington, D.C. One late Saturday night after an evening in a Capitol Hill bar, he sets off on foot back to his apartment, carrying his over-the-shoulder messenger bag. So on my short walk home, I was approached by the backpacker, homeless-looking white man with hangman's nooses tattooed all over his face. We made eye contact, he gave me this Hitler-style salute as he was walking towards me. He was youngish, youngish, probably not much older than me, I guess. His face was dirty. Clearly dirty. Like, covered in dirt. As if you were, like, out in the garden working for the day. But not smelly, per se. And he had these three nooses tattooed across his face. Which just didn't make much sense to me. Homeless. The guy looks homeless. Is that because of the dirt and the backpack? Is that the image we conjure when we think of the homeless? What do you assume a homeless person wants from you when they initiate contact on the street? Do you assume they're going to ask for money? Or even perhaps try to muck you and rob you? And with this chap, there's also the Hitler-style salute and the hangman's noose tattoos on his face. Hardly gestures and symbols that inspire warm, fuzzy feelings. Not knowing exactly what to do, you know, I just responded with the same hand gesture. Our arms bumped into each other. His fault, not mine. We both recoiled, and I, of course, apologize. And then he asks, do you want to hug it out? So I say, sure. And he hugged me and then kissed my neck. It was all very bizarre. How many people would allow a complete stranger, and a visibly filthy stranger at that, to even touch them? Never mind clutch them in a full embrace and plant a kiss on their bare skin. Let's face it, when a complete stranger gets this familiar out of the blue, it has to be a preamble to something unsavoury. Doesn't it? He then shook my hand and said, My name's Byron. I grew up in D.C. 
but I live in Philadelphia now. I tell him my name, and we exchange this nice-to-meet-you's, I guess. He then said, I never get tired. So I told him that's a good thing. We wished each other a good night and parted ways. And that was that? He didn't want anything? Even so, why on earth would Connor allow himself to get entangled in something so weird? Neither of us was in a particular hurry, and it's my general policy in these situations when I'm the only one on the street and I'm approached by someone to just go with the flow and be polite. So what was Connor's immediate reaction to this guy? How did he explain his bizarre behavior? I'm just assuming he was some strung out on some type of drug. Maybe some bath salts. Who knows, maybe he's going down some sort of K-hole. Whatever. Ketamines. Calm down off ketamines a bitch. <laughs> when you're strung out on ketamine and you just sort of have no idea what you just... It's called a K-hole, I think, because what happens is you, have, you, you do a bunch of stuff and you have no recollection of it happening afterward. And also, what about the risk of the hug being a cover for an attack? Supposing the guy had had a knife or a gun? He could have used the physical proximity to grab Connor's back. And I know this could have ended a lot differently, but, you know, in these situations, I always try to give the person the benefit of the doubt. And things have always gone fine. I mean, his character is not really common to the neighborhood. He engaged me first, and I had a choice. Do I respond, or do I ignore him? And I always typically respond, because that way they know you're not afraid of them, and you don't lose the upper hand. So maybe Connor is naive. Maybe he's just been too sheltered from the risks of the big city. After all, he's from small-town Minnesota. And really, going anywhere in the big city's a gamble. You know, I've been mugged before, and it was mostly because I just wasn't paying attention. And in, in, in that situation, I was, I, was, I was new to the city, I got off at the wrong metro stop, and I was just going to go meet some friends at a bar. And, um, you know, I thought, well, I can just walk it. It's only about a mile, and it seems like a residential neighborhood. So as I was walking through, there was this older woman walking her schnauzer, this, this elderly gentleman riding a bicycle. You know, nothing. Seemed very, very safe, nothing out of the ordinary. And then my, my friends call. I answer the phone, and I'm walking by myself. And all of a sudden, the phone's over with. I have the phone in my hand, I look up, and all of a sudden there's these three guys standing in front of me. You know, I'm a relatively tall person, and I'm not used to being confronted by three people that, at least in this city, I'm not used to being, being confronted by people that are at least six inches taller than me. Anyway, they took the phone out of my hand, and I, of course, responded with, give me my fucking phone back. And they said, well, why are you in such a hurry? I said, well, I'm not in a hurry, but you should give me my fucking phone back. And then they, of course, come back and say, well, take out your wallet. And I said, no, give me my fucking phone back. And then they said, well, take out your wallet. We're going to beat the shit out of you. And I thought, okay, that's fine. I'll go with it. They took $40 cash and my phone trotted off. It was, it was actually a pretty decent business transaction. 
Yeah, I went to the police just up the street. Uh, they said that there'd been some other robberies in the neighborhood that night that were similar. Um, and, you know, they followed up on the case regularly. And it's, I had the insurance on the phone. And really the cheapest iPhone upgrade I've ever gotten. The phone was insured. So all I had to do was call the phone company and say, hey, my phone got stolen. Can you brick the phone, wipe the memory or whatever? And then uh, they sent me a new one in two business days. So... It turns out Connor is not so inexperienced with the dangers of urban life. So what was it about the encounter with the tattooed man that made him less wary, less defensive? Was he perhaps distracted and deflected from fear by the oddness of the man's saluting gesture, then his flamboyant hugging overture and his unconventional appearance? Maybe so. But Connor explains it as a rational reaction to what he saw as the impractical nature of the approach for a mugging, and also to the man's not exactly unnoticeable appearance. You know, the whole interaction was strange. You know, on the approach, he had one hand angled out in front of him. And there are a lot simpler ways to, like, swipe a bag or stab someone. Plus, the noose tattoos and the sort of grungy general disposition, it didn't make him at all inconspicuous. You know, mid-encounter, I was fully prepared to give him the $3 in my wallet if he asked for it. Um, you know, maybe if he needed some spare change. But he never asked for it, and... And in retrospect, it was, it was just bizarre how unthreatened I felt. Seemed like a nice guy. So, a dirty, ghoulishly tattooed stranger approaching with a Nazi-style salute, who invades personal space and talks as if he's high on drugs, arouses in Connor a feeling of altruism and camaraderie. But the story doesn't end there. Connor is about to be confronted with more fodder for speculation, something he can't so easily rationalise away. But the weirdest, spookiest, you know, creepiest thing is that when I got home, I discovered he put this piece of masking tape with the number 89 scribbled on it, on my bag. And I'm not quite sure what to make of that. So the cogs start turning and Connor starts to brainstorm to himself about what this could mean. Like, what's the deal with the tape on my bag and the number 89? Maybe he got the 89th bottle of methadone at the clinic. Although he was a couple miles away from the methadone clinic. <laughs> that numbered tape and the hug and the way he approached the whole situation was just weird. Like, I'm almost glad for the tape with the number on it because now I have proof that this strange thing happened to me. So what is the significance of the number 89? Let's think about the man with whom this number is associated to try and see where it takes us. The most striking thing is his noose tattoos, which, as tattoos, have a rather ambiguous meaning. I found plenty of reference to there being racist symbols targeted at African Americans because of their associations with lynchings after the Civil War and into the early 20th century, and then they're being requisitioned by the Ku Klux Klan as one of their symbols of membership. Some noose tattoos are inked around the neck of the person wearing them, but I couldn't find any references or even pictures of hangman's nooses on people's faces. Then again, in Eastern mythology, the noose has connotations of liberation from worldly trappings, 
and in this context can be found in the hands of Japanese mythological characters, or Ganesh, the Hindu elephant god, where the noose is said to trap illusion. So was this tattooed man a white supremacist? He was white, and Connor is a tall young man of Nordic origins from Minnesota. Did he approach Connor out of some sense of solidarity? Connor said he gave him a kind of Hitler salute, but he apparently didn't have any aura of aggressiveness or thuggishness that one might associate with white supremacists. Instead, he demonstrated unexpected warmth and bonhomie towards a complete stranger who he approached for no obvious reason and with no introduction. He didn't mention religion, but could he be some kind of spiritual evangelist looking for converts? But whatever his motives, good or bad, it sounds like Connor may be unusual in giving him the opportunity to reveal anything about himself, let alone redeem his unsavoury and even threatening appearance with a demonstration of amiable character. We asked several people at random on the streets of Capitol Hill, not far from where Connor had encountered the tattooed man, what they would do if they were approached by such a man, who bumped into them, apologised, and then asked for a hug, just as he had with Connor, with that opening gambit. Do you want to hug it out? I would not hug him. Or her. Okay, why not? You know, uh... Why not? Well, I probably would avoid them, but... I don't know, just... On the approach, you mean yeah. avoid them? Right. What would it be about them then? Probably smell bad, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't... Anything wouldn't. about the hangman's nooses? Or? Yeah, that's a little disconcerting. Yeah. What would you associate with? I don't know. Prison? Yeah. because he's a stranger and I don't know him. And I don't know what he could do to me. Right. I'll probably walk away. I don't know. It's a little scary, I guess. Scary? Yeah. So like, what was the scary part? Hangman's news. Oh, okay. A racist. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you think they're racist? Well, possibly. I don't know. Okay. So you would walk away? Maybe, yeah. Okay. He bumped into me physically. I say, that's okay. Have a good day. Okay. What about the hug? Would you accept that? Um, I'd probably pretend I didn't hear. I have a germ thing. <laughs> okay. Would you like to expound on that? I would rather not be hugged, but I'd be like, that's cool, no problem. Okay. Have a good day, and I'll, I'd keep on walking. I'm cognizant of um, surfaces. Um, I don't put my purse anywhere where I eat. Um, I would probably be too scared to do anything else, so I'd probably just let him hug me. <laughs> Why would you be scared? Because uh, I don't know him, and it's kind of strange when someone you don't know asks for a hug while they're just walking around. <laughs> but you'd let him hug you? Probably, because I would feel strange trying to come up with a reason not to, or would just want the encounter to be over faster. <laughs> so I figured the fastest way out would be to just comply. Would you be afraid of offending him if you refused? Uh, maybe a little bit. Would any of your reaction be based on the noose tattoos, the hangman's noose tattoos on his face? Um, Probably, yeah. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, just like a... Yeah, hangman's noose, you know, like a hangman. Right, noose. like when you play the game as a kid. Yeah. 
that, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't seen that before, so I'm not sure what it means. So you just said it reminds you of playing Hangman. As a kid, yeah. That's interesting. So the guy's appearance certainly arouses apprehension. There's an assumption that he smells bad and that he's germ-ridden. Though the girl with the germ thing did seem to have a higher than normal fear of germs. But she also acknowledged that. Funnily enough, it was this most physically squeamish of respondents who expressed the most warmth and geniality towards the imagined man, saying, that's cool, no problem. Two of the guys reacted negatively to the hangman's nooses and one did speculate whether they might be a racist symbol. But interestingly, the African-American girl we asked said nothing about the noose tattoos. She was just very clear of her boundaries with strangers, much more so than the other girls. The last girl we heard had perhaps the most unsettling reaction, in that she indicated she wouldn't have the confidence to set the terms of the encounter. And though we know from Connor's experience that our tattooed protagonist turned out to be harmless, she wouldn't have known that. And one can only imagine what risks such an accommodating response by a woman could have in a different situation. These different responses put Connor's handling of the situation into a more telling perspective. Unlike the various inclinations expressed by our random respondents, he demonstrated neither fear nor physical disgust during the encounter, and he didn't attempt to avoid the situation. He exchanged names with the tattooed man, listened to his brief narrative about himself, and validated the man's experience. This doesn't mean that Connor wasn't making judgments about the man, or even that part of his response wasn't negative. But the key is that whatever his internal reaction, he put forth all the verbal and body language messages that facilitated a non-conflictual and even pleasant encounter that even left Connor feeling uplifted. Connor has no training in conflict resolution or verbal de-escalation techniques, but he unwittingly and quite naturally exhibited many of the behaviours and techniques that, for example, the Crisis Prevention Institute advocates in order to contain potentially dangerous or violent situations. Maybe we'll get them on the line sometime to talk about that. We don't know for sure that the tattooed man had violent tendencies. Perhaps he didn't. But what Connor did was have a positive human exchange with someone whose outward appearance, for a variety of reasons, is apparently repellent to many people. It isn't that Connor is without presuppositions or even prejudices, but he was able to let those personal reactions go for the sake of open curiosity. And yes, safety. But the net result was an interesting, even heartwarming human encounter. How many enriching experiences do we nip in the bud before they can even get started? How many people do we rebuff who might broaden our horizons, simply because of fear or preconceived notions about their intentions, or just about their intrinsic value as someone worthy of our attention? The example we've used is a little extreme and perhaps overtly threatening, but Connor's experience was real, certainly not fabricated, and the reactions we recorded are all representative of the kinds of reactions we all have in varying degrees to people outside our comfort zone. They also suggest that most of us can't easily be categorised as downright prejudiced or completely unbiased, but that we're all complex, and that for any given situation we express altruism, mean-spiritedness, prejudice and tolerance at varying levels and in different combinations. In Routing Out, we're going to look more at these kinds of issues, what they say about individuals, groups and institutions, whether they're productive or destructive, and when we feel we should or shouldn't accept a particular set of tendencies. 
Sometimes we're going to be frivolous, silly, sometimes dead serious and perhaps even offensive. So take what you want and leave the rest. So what did our respondents associate with the number 89? It's just a number. I, it doesn't mean anything to me. A year, maybe 1989. That's what I think of. That's it. <laughs> The fall of the Soviet Union. The fall, the and the Berlin Wall goes down. Okay. So yeah, That's I guess right. Soviet Union was ninety one. So and Berlin Wall goes down. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl. We've a Super Bowl that we played. Uh, Bengals played 49ers. I just remember that it was the guy broke his leg really badly. Oh wait, also isn't that the year of the earthquake, San Francisco? Nothing. Why? Should it? Nothing at all. How about this 89? Let's see what we come up with. Googling the religious numerology of 89, I find that, according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, Levi, a relative of Jacob, spent 89 years in Egypt. That sounds pretty grim. But here's something else. The four Gospels of the Bible's New Testament have a total of 89 chapters. That's 28 for Matthew, 16 for Mark, 24 for Luke, and 21 for John. Now across both Old and New Testaments, the verb to adore is apparently used 89 times. 49 times in the Old Testament, and 40 in the New Testament. Hmm. Interesting. So, apart from the unfortunate sojourn in Egypt, the number 89 has some pretty positive connotations, at least as far as Christianity is concerned. So what about spirituality in a more general sense? Apparently, the number 89 symbolically represents people who are freed from karmic bonds through personal effort so that they're unfettered by the tests of life. It seems that these people have been very generous and philanthropic, leading by positive example. Now this bit is interesting. If you've been this kind of person, you get a message of support and encouragement from the angels in the form of the angel number 89, as you focus on your life purpose as a light worker. So Connor is a light worker? I wonder if he knows that. Now supposedly, the light worker will get this message during a period of obstacles and hindrances, before a significant ending or conclusion in one's life. But never fear. You're promised flow and fluidity at the conclusion of this phase. But what did Connor come up with? You know, I've, 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 I've since spent some time uh, researching tattoo meanings online, and his tattoos didn't have any relationship with gang activity or any sort of real documented meaning that I could uncover. And outside of his unclean state, he didn't have any facial hair, and just had this sort of very calm, relaxed disposition. And, you know, I also only call it a Hitler salute because that's the closest thing I know that it resembled. And interestingly enough, the numerology for 89 is quite good. That being said, the first thing I did when I got home was wash my neck. 
and it wasn't just, I didn't use just soap and water, I used Lysol. You can never be too careful with these people. I still have the tape, though. But is that really as significant as it seems? Sometimes we turn an event or a story we hear into something more complicated or sinister than it perhaps merits. We connect disparate elements that may have no connection at all. We construct meanings and ascribe significance to things that may be so innocuous as not to represent anything of importance. At least, not the importance that we are giving to them. Next time on Routing Out.